Hello, I'm Brett Bradigan, editor and publisher of Bohai Quarterly and Ohio Monthly. In this episode, we talk with James Morrison, the distinguished actor, singer-songwriter, producer, filmmaker, director, and yogi. This fascinating Ojai resident shares with us his journey and the lessons he's learned along the way. Hey, James. Hey, Brett. Hey, um, look well, at this. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me. I'm oh, really yeah, uh, you do do me an honor. Uh, so the first thing I thought we could talk about is what as a as a you know hardworking actor creator. Uh, what has it been like over these? What are we nine months into this pandemic? Uh, yeah. Wow. Longest nine months. Uh, well, second longest for. <laughs> uh, you know that that reminds me actually I, I like to start with this when I talk about this lockdown because we each have our own personal and you know reaction to this I mean, yeah. and, and, and it's the first time in my lifetime except I guess when I was a kid and I don't remember it much with the polio uh, thing yeah uh, where we're all in the same boat I mean literally we're all in this together and uh so we get to see how how it works and doesn't work when when people either you know acknowledge that and 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 uh, or not. But when this first started, you know, Seamus, my son, uh, twenty one now, <clears throat> came into the. I was reading, and he came in, and he said, "You know, we we've been through this before." And it, it I hadn't thought of that. I mean, we'd been into. I guess this was April when he said this. May maybe. Uh, because we spent uh, several months in the hospital uh, when he was ten, he had a brain tumor. Oh no! Yeah. So and then we spent the next two years. He was on chemo, oh. and we were at home, and he was recovering, and um, we were in lockdown. I mean, for you know, I mean, we his uh, immuno his immune system compromised. Yeah. Anybody who I mean, it wasn't the same thing at all because it wasn't the level of contagion wasn't as high, but his immune system was, was uh, compromised. And so whenever we saw anybody or anybody came to the house, we met them at the door with the hand sanitizer and made sure they weren't sick. And, you know, but, but yeah. we were really, really isolated. And then we lived in, in uh, LA then. So uh, in a little house in Hollywood and uh, it just gave us a perspective, you know, when he said that, you know, that, that uh, we had, hadn't considered up to that point and so i would start with that because it you know it's all based on our perception and perspective anyway so it sure is yeah we're we're we've just been sort of uh, uh our, our gratitude uh, meter has been kicked up to high you know during this time and i think i think a lot of people have been forced to recognize what they're grateful for and what uh you know yeah, um, a more reflective of, time. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we have a lot of time to sit and think, and and you know, of course, we have to be careful because sometimes that means we're venturing behind enemy lines. You know, <laughs> when we're alone with our own thoughts. Oh man, the abyss. Oh God! But so, and so anyway, that that uh, that's a good segue into you know having everyone's uh, livelihood ripped from them. Yeah, you know, some more than others, certainly. But uh, you know, we're, our business shut down completely, and uh, just now getting back. 
Yeah, what is up. it? What is it looking like? Like, uh, having to are they forming like the NBA did bubbles? You know, like everybody's in it together for the length of the project. That kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, it kind of depends. It kind of depends. Like you know, their jobs and that I've been up for that have gone and shot in Canada. Uh, another one was in Mexico, and of course, two different countries couldn't probably be handling this any differently. Yeah. Uh, Canada has a really strict uh, quarantine uh, protocol. And Mexico, I'm not even sure because I didn't even, I mean, I considered the job, but then I decided that I can't, uh, I just can't take the risk and bring something home. Sure. Seamus is doing really well now, but still, he's, you know, he's a, he's a survivor. So, why? Yeah, why I didn't know that. I was, uh, you know, we ran a story about T.D. Lynn, this beautiful story he wrote. About oh, Tim yeah. Tim Land yeah. in the magazine. He's a very talented young man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. He's he's uh, that was a great little piece of writing. Well, and and he had a. I mean, considering the subject matter, you know, Tim is a pretty pretty talented guy. So my goodness, yeah. And they have great affection for each other and always have, and so it was easy for for them to. Yeah. Well, we were very happy to have that uh, grace our pages. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, so he's at uh, UCSB. How, what's that looking like? Yeah. We'll get back to the industry, yeah. but uh, just sure. curious what what it's like now for. for college, we'll get back to talking students. about me. You're saying, uh, now yeah, I have to talk about this, my boy. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's. Uh, this is my favorite subject anyway. Yeah, care about that other stuff. <laughs> but he's uh, yeah he's been schooling from home since last march so yeah i have a friend who's a teacher at uh, ucsb and she's just talking about that was you know a fourth year class that she was teaching of these kids who have none of the mm -hmm. transit experiences and you know the public moments that that you know get them onto the they don't have their moment on the stage you know getting the diploma and, and just oh, feeling man. feeling really bad for them not just like the athletes and and everyone else that's had everything kind of taken away from them. But just that moment in the spotlight that these kids, it gives them, you know, a boost to know, yeah, people come together to celebrate your achievements. And now it's just kind of like they just wander off without it. I guess they may feel like they're a cohort that's going to, um, you know, they got through this. So they may have some, you know, solidarity with each other it might be like uh, their version of World War Two, you know, like it was for my father and uncles, you know. I don't yeah, know. Or, yeah, or, uh, yeah. We should actually, Seamus and I talked about that the other night, you know, uh, you know the prospect of, because he's fourth year. Oh, this would be oh. his senior year. Yeah. And so he could graduate. He might have to take a class this summer to, to graduate. But he, he said, you know, I, I had that in high school. I had a really nice graduation. He went to Oak Grove here. Oh, Ohio. yeah. Well, that's and, a very close community. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, they, they do a, a big deal with, you, you know, you, you write a speech and you, uh, you get your, your diploma and you get to hug people and everybody gets to come and watch. And so he had that. He's not, he's yeah. not really concerned about it. But I know some kids probably want to walk up there in their cap and gown and do that stuff. Yeah, I think ceremony and ritual is a very important part of the human experience. 
Yeah, those way. Yeah, back. well, you know that's that part of the deal. That uh, in fact, I just saw a great play last night that my friend uh, Patrick Tobat wrote uh, about the stories that we tell ourselves and the the the, the, the sort of that that it's at a actually the DNA level of the myths and stories that we tell each other that things we can't do without, and we're seeing a lot of that unfold now like never before. I think it's yeah. probably the base the basis of our division right now is it has to be a certain way and and if it's not we're going to resist it and it's if it's you know i mean so i don't know maybe that we need to shake that stuff up every now and again yeah uh, right? i don't know yeah we're we're losing we're losing people and uh it's not you know before their time and and these these not to get too maudlin but what really hits my empathy bone is the solitary desk people who can't be there for that last touch as they, oh you know, slip this mortal coil that's been well and, and weighs yeah, on that, me. That, that yeah, that loneliness. Yeah, and, and uh, but also the people like I mean, we've talked about this at home. If we were going through our cancer cancer battle now, I mean those. I've talked to friends who who have cancer now and are going in for chemo infusions and treatments alone. They can't be with their family when they're doing that, going through that stuff, and that's wow. terrifying enough when you're surrounded by yeah, you know, a, your tribe and your your family, and yeah, that's hard, man. That's really hard. You well, I I feel like we're we're on the you know a couple months away from being able to really start to annihilate this thing. We've got to i did just did a podcast with marty pops who knows all these uh great virologists in fact he's personally acquainted with dr fauci and he mm -hmm. says this is uh you know two three months away before they'll they'll yeah. start giving to frontline workers and healthcare professionals and and yeah, then we, uh, we, yeah. we see hope on the horizon yeah and i just think it's like it always feels like that's the most dangerous time doesn't it right you know, it's always the darkest right before it goes completely black kind of experience, you know, that that uh, we just got to get through this next couple months, people. And I just don't see the same level of conscientiousness and diligence that we had when we first went into it. We're getting sloppy. No, not at all. I mean, people are, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of spoiled. I mean, we're really, you know. Yeah, as a culture, as a people, just the, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, if that, if, if uh, you know, not wearing a mask, and we, we talked about all this stuff, but if that's the most oppressed you've ever been, man, then you really got to examine <laughs> your, your privilege, right? Yeah, I was reading somewhere about the 19 epidemic, same mask arguments. And oh, in, sure. And in fact, there was a protest in San Francisco and a, and a cop shot a guy in the face because he yeah. got right at him, spitting on him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were uh, there was a movement to just just like today's uh, anti-maskers. You know? Yeah. It's, I remember reading that. Yeah. We haven't really come that far. So I just wanted to get a sense of, um, you know, how how you you know, where, where you grew up and what, what you know, oh, okay. your early experiences and. Um, I know a little bit, but fill, fill us in. Well, I, I uh, was born in uh, Salt Lake City. 
and uh, raised I and mean, lived there till I was nine. My parents, uh, uh, my parents' parents were uh, from uh, Scotland and England, and my dad's uh, folks came over uh, coal miners uh, with with the Mormon Church, actually. Yeah, well, back in the great migration in the 1840s yeah. and that. Yeah, yeah. And they went to Nova Scotia first, and then they ended up in uh, Wyoming, coal miners, you know. And then uh, we, they eventually, but my, my dad and, and my mom weren't raised Mormon. Okay. Um, somehow they, that thread got uh, lost in, 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 yeah. the, in, the, in the two, gener two, two generations. But they were definitely um, surrounded by it. Oh yeah, and that in that neck of the woods, you bet. And uh, so I was raised there till nine, and my my um, my parents uh, split up when I was really young, and my dad moved to uh, Alaska to work on the. He was a uh, worked in the construction business, and he was an office manager, and he ended up in Alaska on the new highways up there when it, right after it became a state in the early sixties, and before and the big earthquake. Yeah, in fact, we moved up there just in time for that. My my parents got back together after uh, several years of being divorced. And we moved up there in 63. So yeah. right before... 64, that was the 9.2 yeah. or something. Yeah, it was a big one. Oh, man. So we got there just in time for the school year during the Kennedy assassination, which was today, right, wasn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, my goodness. Also, Aldous Huxley, a former Ojai resident, died at the same, same, virtually the same moment as Kennedy. Really? Yeah. Today is oh, the 22nd. Right. That's right. Well, I'll take a moment to reflect on that. That oh, was oh, a was martyr. The 22nd, so that was, that was yesterday, wasn't it? Oh, it was today, the 23rd. Never mind. Um, yeah. So, yeah, how so many we, brothers and sisters do yeah. you have? Do you have like a big family? There were six of us. There are five oh, of us God. now. Hey, that's exactly me. I've got, I grew up with six and, you know. What number are one, you? I'm a five of six. Yeah, me too. Wow. There was a oh. wonderful book, just not to get too far into the reading recommendations, but something about birth order and genetics. And they were talking about uh, Darwin was five of six. And so was Alfred uh, Russell Wallace, who was like the co-independently discoverer of natural selection. And the whole premise of the book, uh, Francis Soloway wrote this book. The whole premise is where your your birth order is really determinant, or at least it used to be, um, because we didn't have as many peer relationships. So we had more sibling relationships back in those days. Hmm. So like the further down you were in the birth order, the more likely you were to upset the apple cart and break away from this status quo and think differently because... You know, the firstborns are assured, you know, of their inheritance or whatever. But um, it's just really interesting. You just sort of had to fight for your to fight to find the nipple. Is that what it is? Yeah. I, think so. I, I felt like and that. I felt like, I, you know, I'd have to go uh, fork and knife at the dinner table to get that last yeah. baked potato, you know. Well, my, my, my uh, siblings are so far apart. Uh, that I didn't really have to worry about that. Three of them were gone by the time I was nine. They got a big gap in, uh, in the, the lineage. Got a Yeah. I'm, my sister, my older sister is still alive. He's old enough to be my mother. Oh, wow. I have a nephew that uh, is a year younger than me. 
<laughs> so uh, that that's I mean it's literally a different generation within one generation. Yeah, I think there's like 18 years between my oldest brother and my youngest sister. Yeah. Yes, that's the same thing. Yeah. So and then um, my, my sister that raised me, uh, my second oldest, uh, just passed a few years back. That was oh. a tough one. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. My sister died like four years ago. Yeah, just, it was kind of, kind of rough because she wasn't, and she should have had another 20 years at least. Uh, yeah, but I've become very close with my niece and her family since then. So there's at least one oh, good. consolation that continue another generation of, of relationship. Yeah, so um, how, what was it like growing up in Alaska? What do you remember? I remember uh, when we first got there, yeah, Anchorage had 30,000 people. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's a pretty small town. That's that's how yeah. many people in the valley were, basically, right? Yeah, even, even uh, well, a little bit more. I think we were like 21 or 22. But yeah, it's, 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 small, and that's, it's just, and that's the biggest in this enormous land, though, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Biggest city in the, in the state. Uh, and now there's 300,000. So it's a, it was a whole different place back in the 60s. It was, it was, uh, so the hippie and entrepreneurs, you know, the back in to fact, the land, uh, homesteader types. Along those lines, um, when I was taught yoga at, uh, in, in uh, LA at the Center for Yoga, which Ganga White uh, founded, who became yeah. a dear friend and mentor. Um, he founded it back in 67, I think when it was bought by the, by yoga works, which had been bought by a huge corporate, you know, thing. I was talking to the guy who came in to, to interview. He, he, he was in charge of uh, this company that bought yoga works and, and we were talking and I, he said, so where are you from? I said, Alaska. I grew up there. He said, oh, I was in Alaska back in the early 70s oh wow really that's when i went to high school there and I, yeah i was up there with uh i worked to, for, in politics i was a young democrat and I, and I said oh my god that's my first presidential election was uh wait a minute <laughs> 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 turns out we knew each other and you know worked on mcgovern's campaign back in 72 that was my first wow yeah so that was the sort of the that was the people that I, I, I tell that story because that was the kind of uh, people that were moving up there then. And then when the oil money all happened in the 70s and late 60s and 70s, those people started to sort of move away or, be, or they became enveloped in, in sort of, in, you know, what, what's the word? They, they were eaten by that yeah. money machine that oil brought in, you know, and yeah. it just became a whole different place. Uh, uh, so it's it, that's what it was like growing up. I mean, just watching streets being made through through forests. And um, in fact, when I was sixteen, I I, I worked. Uh, my dad would get me jobs on the construction crew building the the new road to Fairbanks. So I would go. You know, my summer job would be going out in the wilderness where the only person before us would would have been, uh, you know, surveyors. Yeah. And that was oh that I've been on that highway. It's a beautiful drive. Um, yeah. you go right past uh, Mount McKinley. 
Well, you, I mean, the whole drive is like it's right in the middle of the road ahead of you. So you're on a clear when you when it comes out, which is is not all that, that often. But yeah, it's right there looming, and the, you can see it from Anchorage if on a clear day. You know, four hundred miles away. Crazy, yeah. yeah. Well, we drove all the way up to Coldfoot, and you know the the North Slope. Just uh, oh, yeah. just we wanted to cross the Arctic Circle. This is my road trip with my old boss because I almost ended up in Wasilla. We were just kind of checking it out. We did a little bit of work, and then we went on this amazing road trip right up to the heart of Alaska and came back down through Toke and that that side, and yeah, yeah. I went down to Seward, and so beautiful. What well, a, I did the state. highway, the the Alcan twice. I hitchhiked it once, for, and Toke is the you know departure point where you go into Whitehorse. Yeah, to go down back into the state. Wow, what an adventure! How how old were you when when you did that? Well, we drove up the first time with my mom, my little brother, my brothers, and I when we first went to Anchorage. So that was the first time. That took thirty days. Thirty days. <laughs> yeah. My mom was the only one driving, so she could only drive. Yeah. Certain, you know. Um. Then I hitchhiked out. Let's see. Oh, no. Then we drove out again when my mom, we left. She had to have some uh, medical stuff done in the States. So we drove out again. And then I then flew back, of course. But then I drove, I hitchhiked out the last time I was 21 when I left home finally. Wow. Left, I mean, how I say home, I mean, I mean Anchorage. Yeah. yeah. But had you already uh, been in... Uh taken by the stage oh yeah 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 when what was your first experience when where you're like oh this is this is what i want to do oh you know i mean we i I sort of clock it back to when i was a kid you know putting on plays with family and for Uh, for anybody who would look at me yeah but also just being a ham bone you know and and uh making believe and stuff but i i uh I did. I auditioned for a play for the community theater in Anchorage when I was still in high school. That was the first time I set foot on a proper stage. Was it, did you go to uh, east or west? I went to west. Oh, so you know Anchorage? Uh well, I have some friends from Anchorage, and they they say oh, that's yeah. like the that's the divide, or that's the question. You know, they always ask each other. Oh, you're from Anchorage. Oh, did you go to east or west? I went to west. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of trouble in school. Yeah, just with the discipline or the were yeah, you rambunctious? I, just, uh, I was. Uh, I guess rambunctious is another word for incorrigible, isn't uh-huh. it? <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that okay. rambunctious. Um, but I also had a problem with authority, and I had and I had a an attitude, and and that you know uh, I had a rough time with the. Uh, the just the the public schools i mean the public school system uh, so i ended up um you know uh, taking classes at the community college anchorage community college which was later absorbed by university of alaska but at the time it was you know it had a pretty great theater department actually so i took a lot of classes there while i was still in high school and got my credits and just sort of left i didn't even i didn't even bother yeah. Well, do you remember? I, mean, I got my diploma, but I didn't. I didn't uh, go to the ceremony. No, no, and I and I ended up just going to uh, doing plays at the for the college theater department. You know. Do you remember any of those early roles? Oh yeah, 
Um, I, I, uh, man for all seasons. I did Godspell. I did, oh, wow. uh, I did the common man and man for all seasons. I don't know if you know that play uh, about Sir Thomas More. But yeah, but the play version actually, the, the common man is the chorus. You know, he talks to the audience and oh. tells them, and he didn't, then he plays different roles in Sir Thomas More's life. Oh, from, that sounds very fascinating. From the boatman to the butler to the you know servant to the, and then finally his executioner. So it's a pretty interesting play. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and let's see. Well, you know, uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I mean, it was great fun, and I. And I uh, what I learned most was that, that that was really what I wanted to do. Yeah. What was it? What was it like just the, the camaraderie or the discipline of learning your lines or the, the crowd that, that, you know, the, no, I think it was the same thing that, uh, that I spoke of earlier. I, I alluded to that child, you know, to that make believe. Yeah creative sort of play uh the aspect of it was just to, to pretend to be other people was you know i mean i i i, I didn't have to want to be a construction worker or a, an architect or a, any of those things i could just pretend to be them and and, and uh, i could be all those things a doctor or you know and as it turns out over 45 years i i pretty much pretended to be a, a, a all those things you know in different roles so yeah, I think that's what I looked at. I, I hesitate to say, although it, I know it had a lot to do with it, because I had a fairly dysfunctional upbringing. But I, I used it to as a form of escapism and and uh, you know building stories and, and maybe a way to process it too. Yeah, to process it and also just to escape. I think really was it was a it was a creating a, a reality that I. Of my choosing, you know, within a within a, a prescribed uh, story. I mean, that you know, I was always taught to serve the story. So whatever it was, yeah, I'll be, I'll do that. Though now, what? And then you just say, uh, you know, you want to play uh, pretend, and I go, yeah, what? Yeah, let's do it. And then you say, as a second thought, what's the story anyway? <laughs> so that's the the first thing is just that 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 willingness to submit. You know, I was yeah. always I always had that always up for it. The hard part now is, you know, remembering why we started and what, 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 uh, yeah. Well, I'm wondering, it's going back to your first question, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering what, um, how this is, you know, what's going on right now. I know you're more than just an actor. You write and you make music and a lot of creative pursuits. I wouldn't be surprised if you were, uh, doing oils or everything. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not. A I have in the past, but I'm not a. I'm not. Yeah, so I think of you as a Renaissance man of a you know the, a Western variety, you know Western Hemisphere type. With uh, you've been around and you've had a very interesting life. But what do you? What's your routine like now? How do you uh, find the space to create? Do you find it difficult with this sort of dread? That's what what I've been feeling. Dread. Oh, have you? Yeah. No, I, I I don't feel dread. I don't feel. Uh, you know, as I said, I I think we're coming to it with our own perspective, and I don't feel like. Uh, I mean, everything that I face now, in terms of uh, adversity or challenge, or 
I always just go, well, you know, it's not brain cancer. So, oh wow, so you got your uh, you got your baseline established. I mean, yeah, do, do, uh, yeah I do, but and and I think our whole family does. Uh, yeah, I, I know our whole family, but but that's not to say that I don't recognize a threat or and and I'm not cautious or worried, uh, concerned rather. Yeah, no. you know, but um, in ter- but in terms of creative. Um, stuff i've been involved on zoom like you know most actors have trying to figure that out and do that and we've you know been working really hard uh, with a group that i'm in, involved in from la and uh, uh, like a troop that come up yeah it, well it's uh, uh risa bremen garcia is an old friend of mine she's a, a casting director who's been around for you know 30 years or so and, and uh she f- f- formed a, a studio where people go to study acting and I've been involved in a group that's called in rehearsal, a a group of actors who write. Oh, nice. And so we, we work on scenes sometimes. Yes. But uh, mostly we write our own stuff and, and give it to each other and cast each other in it. And, you know, yeah, that collegiality. Yeah. So yeah, we find that's comfort in, in a, an ensemble, you know, the, a human ensemble that we, yeah, that we form and surround ourselves with. I think uh, now more than ever we need that, especially since everything's shut down. I mean, there's no, no theater, no live performance. Uh, yeah, I was I had a episode with Michael Addison, who's a Shakespearean actor and director. He was head of the California Shakespeare festival for many many years and worked very closely with the ashland uh company great great actor and Mm -hmm. he was saying you know between 1603 and 1616 like or 1613 those 10 years that would have been the heart of william shakespeare's productions his creative peak the globe theater was shut down 70 percent of the time uh, quarantines from the, the plague, you know, the bubonic plague mm-hmm. and, and typhoid, mm-hmm. cholera, all those things that would go through. So it's not like the theater arts entertainment industry hasn't had to adapt to similar periods of, of isolation and not being able to gather together in a crowd, which I think is so key to the human experience that you know, the way your brain lights up when you're in an audience and somebody's putting on an amazing production. So we, we've been here before. It's just, yeah. yeah. Now, not, in, not in our lifetimes and certainly no. not in, I mean, not in the last, what, two, 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 gen, two three generations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't, you know, I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, that was, uh, I mean, you never knew when you were going to be dark and not only dark, but I mean, real dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and 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 I I know it's it's really tough for younger actors, especially who haven't. They're just going, man. I was just deciding to do this, and yeah. You know, but uh, use this time, man. That's what I say. I mean, I I have been writing, and I've been working on the play that I that I worked on with Bob Egan here. Yeah. Do you want to talk at, about at that? NPC. Oh, I'd love to because it was a. Well, it's 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 a one person play based on my my experience with Seamus's cancer, 
And um, we, you know, put that up in 2019 up there. So you workshopped it with the Playwrights Conference? At, at the Playwrights Conference, yeah. And uh, and then, uh, so that was August. And then in, in February, of course, everything shut down in March. So I was just getting, starting to get some more offers to come and develop it and, you know, work on it. And, and then, uh, yeah, that, I know everybody was at the same, I mean, it, and it was hard for me to go to, to not think like a younger actor, actually to go, Oh man. But yeah. It was just, you know, but you always do that as an actor anyway. I oh, I was so close to, yeah. you know, uh, but you can't, you know, that's, that's when you start thinking like a, like a noun instead of a human, right? Sure. As Oscar Wilde said, you know, we're not a noun. We're yeah, we're human beings. Yeah, that's a, good to remind ourselves of that. We're not our jobs, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, we have to remember that. So, um, but uh, you know, I just little historical context um, when we when America or the world actually came out of the pandemic of 1918. They said it was like a creative flourishing and all this pent up energy and enthusiasm took us into the roaring twenties. Like that was a reaction to, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah, world yeah. war one and the pandemic. And then, you know, the automobile was getting popular and we had a lot of mobility and distances or shorter. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, yeah. people, uh, and I hope that we are able to, to do or at least capture some of that that energy in a in a positive way as as uh, we get out of this and that there's going to be all this creative flourishing all these writers have been huddled over there in their garrets writing their hearts out and that oh uh, i have no doubt that's going to happen that's a great point yeah at least uh, i i hope so i think it will oh i i know it will i mean i've been because i've been in these rooms with the with actors and writers and and you know i, I saw this thing the other day on uh, I'm no longer on Twitter because it was. I finally had to just. Get it's that it's toxic. I, yeah. Well, I, and I've been on there for ten years, and I and it finally just got to to the point where you couldn't say anything without just you know swarms of. It was like being attacked by scabies or something. <laughs> uh, but also, you just you know, if you start scrolling, you, it's just madness, and you you know, it's an addiction. It becomes an addiction. I I really have to be careful of that anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I know that you've talked about your struggles with addiction before. Is there anything you can, you know, give people out there who maybe any words for others out there in the same situation? Or especially now, I think that uh, people are really struggling with with their the worst parts of themselves. And um, you know, what what would you say from your experience that somebody might find helpful? Well, you know, it, it it's it's tough because it's um, it's a self-diagnosed disease. Um, you know, no 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 amount of people can tell you that you have it, uh, and and you're not. I mean, you're just not going to hear it unless you recognize it yourself. And but the thing I will say is is this thing that I was told back when I finally quit uh, back in the early 80s I was working in a play with a fellow who uh, 
I was put in this play to meet. I, 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 I can't, later came to realize because I would come to the theater hungover uh, and just sit there and, you know, I, but I would always pride myself that I never drank before a performance. But I was hung over from the night before. So, and finally, I said to this guy, and I, and I was raised, in, you know, with this stuff, so I knew what it was about. I, my my parents were both sober when they died, and and I said, uh, I would tell this guy, and he and he was sober, and I would just tell this guy what, what was going on in my life, and you know, and he said, you know, uh, you know, this is going to kill you, right? Oh man! I said, "Yeah, I do. I, I know it is. I know it is." And I, and, he, and but I'm, I'm I, and he said, "But you know, just your luck is going to take you fifty years to die." Oof! And that and I and I mean, I looked. I just looked him in the eyes and burst into tears. And I said, "Man, I can't. Like a, I can't do this for fifty years." And he said, "Well, you know what you got to do then." And that was it, man there's an easier softer way and so i think if if we you know that's that's really the only thing that i can offer anybody who who is still out there uh suffering or sick and tired of being sick and tired is you know it's going to kill you and just your luck it's going to take you 50 years to die wow that's uh that's a gut punch right there yeah it was and i i uh what i needed to hear anyway yeah. There is an easier, softer way. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure that a lot, you know, it's like the, uh, anytime we come out of anything that like this, uh, that causes great challenge and isolation. I mean, we isolate and we try to escape and a lot, like you say, this will be a, a creative uh, resurgence, but it'll also be a, uh, bottoming out of, of sorts for, for a great many people. And, and, uh, and I hope they, uh, I hope they know that you know guys like us that, that can can offer them experience, strength, and hope are out here if they need it. If they need us, yeah. Well, that's good to know. Just knowing that makes it, uh, it makes it easier. It's not these <clears throat> battles uh, don't have to be fought alone. That's right. I don't. Yeah. So um, to get down to you know best battles that we don't have to fight alone, you've had a distinguished career. Um, and have worked with some great directors and producers. And what uh, what can you tell us about? Do you have any? Well, one, if if the anecdote comes up, I'd love to hear it. But I'm just like, what is it that makes a great director from a mediocre one, or ones that are difficult to work with, or what? What is the? Is there a common thread, or do they all have something distinctive about them that makes them great? Oh, well, you know, the, the best ones are always the ones who only talk story. They don't talk acting because, you know, going back to the thing, the, the human element of it all, which is what we're, which is what our, our job is to, to bring to the fore, um, the, the, Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's. Uh, um, I I rem you know I remember this 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 is in the form of an anecdote because it's it's one it's it's one of the best 
directors ever will work with and yet i didn't work with him on a project that he was doing i worked with him uh casting a project that he was doing and through a friend of mine who was a casting director called me in to help um ridley scott uh and i've worked with a lot of great directors and and but this story and because people know who ridley scott is i think illustrates my point the best um he was casting kingdom of heaven remember the the film about oh the uh, priests and uh the the crusades and you know oh yeah and the in in jerusalem and Orlando um, Bloom, Orlando, or, Orlando yeah, Bloom. Yeah. So we were reading. We were we were doing like old fashioned uh, screen tests for the lead in this, and, and Orlando was one of them. Um, <clears throat> Riyadh, my wife and I were were uh, hired to to work opposite the, these actors for the screen test. So we spent a day with Ridley and the other actor in rehearsal before we shot these things at, at at fox studio and we were in full costume and chain mail and the whole deal I and mean, it was really a, uh, amazing experience but the the best thing about it besides ridley just uh, i mean he he didn't even know my name i was i was the character's name to him the whole time we worked together and it was a, such an amazing thing because my ego was such that you know i would every once in a while the actor ego would come out and say i want this guy to know my i want ridley scott to know who i am but then i went no wait a minute i'm the hospitaler here i'm i'm this guy i'm you know what i mean i mean i i had that uh, conversation with myself briefly but enough to go okay this is my this is why i did this is why i do this i'm here to serve i'm here to be of service yeah, to serve the story and just the, the, the humanity the of the story. And, serve, and this, this, this guy's needs. I mean, he, you know, they, they hired me to, to be this guy, to help this guy get this job. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I would never think of acting as being some kind of like a, a lunch bucket job. But, and maybe that's not exactly what you're describing, but to to no, no, uh, it is because when you walk into it, it is you're exactly right yeah oh Go just ahead. the sorry just the craft of it like that's uh you're hired to to do this and uh that's what you do How can i help you yeah that's well if you walk into an audition room like that like i the reason i i, I tell that story is because of the what i walked away with was <clears throat> excuse me i walked away with I need to take this mentality into every audition that I do because I'm, I'm walking into that room to, with the attitude of how can I help you? I've done this work on this thing. How can I help you bring this to life? And here's what I can offer you. Um, can I, can I, how, how else can I help? Well, that may be uh, why you get so much work. They, they recognize well, that. Well, you know, it, I think when I walk in with a, you know, I, I do my best to do that all the time, but I <laughs> more successful sometimes than others, but that's what I walked. That was a, that was a mind opening experience. So that's why I bring that up. And I, and I also say that any, any director that, I, that I've ever worked with who only talks story and doesn't talk acting is, is my favorite kind of director, not, not just director, but actors around me too. I mean, if they're, if they're putting themselves first, then you know you're going to be in trouble because 
Astorius then is going to be neglected somehow. Yeah, I think we all have our like loops. Well, you know, as a writer yourself, you know. Yeah. Why would you want to work with somebody who who places themselves before what you've written? Or to have to write around them, that would be even worse. Which happens to to be to to compromise to compromise your vision for somebody else's shortcomings. Yeah. Um, you know that that uh, Tennessee Williams and William Shakespeare and Eugene O'Neill didn't, you know, when they were writing, they didn't sit there and go, "God, I hope this actor and this director really bring their own lives to this thing." So that no, man, they they just said, "No, I want you to be Big Daddy in this and this and Stanley Kowalski and Blanche Dubois or whoever." Yeah, I don't care about I don't care about you. You got to disappear. Well, there's a great great you story about uh, Alfred Hitchcock. That he would he would never push back. It was like you know he worked with all the greats, and they would come up. Oh, what if I say the line this way? Or oh, you know, what if I you know blocked out the, this 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 scene? And and he would always indulge him, always indulge him. And sometimes he'd be in a director's chair, he'd be dozing off, and key scenes and people actors couldn't figure that out. And then. You know, um, they realized that. Oh, wait! There was no film in the in the can. He was just he was just just shining the sun, and, yeah. and that he had every last yeah, yeah. little detail, angle, and costume, and everything from start to finish. Everything was all in his head before he even started mm -hmm. shooting, and then he was just you know it was it was just like he was just capturing what what he what he had and then you know he learned not to argue with the actors because when he did his first couple movies in uh late 20s in england the actors and the uh, producers everybody just like got on his nerves and and he just was so frustrated and he he vowed that he was going to figure out a way to <clears throat> never let that happen again and he figured it out by just, uh, you know, humoring them and, and uh, telling them whatever they wanted to hear. And then he would just, mm -hmm. you know, it was like almost mechanical by the time he got to shoot in a film. Well, and then you, you, of course, you see that in his films, too, as brilliant as they are. The only the, I mean, I'm not criticizing the actors in his films because they were amazing, too. But there's a level of humanity missing, usually mostly in his films, unless it's you know, unless the actor was capable, it's just a fit. It's a great film. Yeah. But then because you side by side with somebody like Kazan, who used the actor's humanity almost exclusively. Yeah. But the, the other side of that coin is the actor, like, like a, I remember stories about like Jason Robards, who would say, Oh, I never, I never argue with, I just say, yes. I just, I never argue with the director. I just say, yes. And then, uh, I do what needs to be done. Yeah, that's the blue collar ethic. I, lo I love that about. Well, I mean, you know, the gazelle. If you, if like I've had directors come to me and give me the with the weirdest directions in the world that have nothing to do with the story, nothing to do with even the situation that we're in, and I just go, yeah, oh sure, you bet. That's a great idea, and then go do what I know has to be done, and they'll and you, invariably when the cut, the take is over, they walk and go, yes, yes, that's a, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't because you said yes that's all they needed yeah. to yeah they just wanted to be accommodated it's a it's a weird game it is uh, that's why the best the best there's no game it's just like everybody knows what the story is everybody's there to serve the story yeah and 
there's no there's no arbitrary or subjective uh imposition of you know it's just stories it's basic it's like the how do you build a building without recognizing the blueprint oh that's a great way you don't just make your own plans up as you go yeah you know i mean yeah true to the moment and it's truthful and stuff but yeah you know that's that's my the craft of it anyway yeah. that's my story i'm sticking to All it right. well now you've had some uh you have had some long running roles i mean you're superb on 24 which i was fascinated by but just the kinetic pace of that show how did that what was it like oh, yeah. you know on set and in a show like that where everything is just moving so fast well it was you know i joined speaking of fast moving i I mean i joined a train that was moving through the station and i had to jump aboard and and they didn't slow down for me yeah (laughs) so i didn't even have time to really uh ask about the gestalt of the place or what i mean because i've never even seen i saw one episode i think when i joined before i auditioned Hmm. So I, but I understood the story. I mean, I understood that, that when I joined, the plane had gone down when the president president was, and Jack was kidnapped, and so all that stuff is just right there, and it, and, and it's in the moment, you know. So it's there's no room for any other thought other than the yeah, moment. Just uh, grab your pages and run. Though I mean, seriously, the, when I looked at it like that, I mean, I just went, well, my backstory doesn't even matter. I'm I'm here to serve this moment in time. Yeah. And then, uh, so that would, that couldn't have actually been better, uh, a better, uh, way to join the show. Cause I just, everything had to go except, uh, because, because time was the enemy, you see. Oh the yeah. Was the, in that show. That's, it was that's stressful to watch so that compelling. show sometimes because of that. And, and not in a, not in a it bad way. Stressful like, to be yeah, I can imagine <laughs> yeah. even more so because yeah. uh, things were zipping yeah. along, but. At the same at the same time that the 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 machine that this this crew and this cast uh, became i've never shot anything like it uh they shot every scene um from beginning to end like a little play oh nice i mean we did pickups and for for those listening who don't know what a pickup is it's when you shoot the scene and then you go oh we have to pick up that one line in, because we didn't get it or uh, I need a pickup of where you grabbed the phone because you know we had a technical thing you know stuff like that hardly ever happened because you they just shoot the whole scene if 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 something happened in the you know like that they just started over and shoot it from so it became like a, every scene was a little play and then they just changed the camera angle to get close-ups and stuff but it it was an amazing way to shoot a well-oiled machine um, huh yeah, I mean, and then, and like the handheld camera operator, whose name was Guy, um, was a character with you in the in the scene, and you you did the blocking around him, so you know that uh, when you had to walk over and get the phone, you knew that you had to walk a certain way, not to, so that you didn't bump into him, and so you had to dance with this guy, and it was an amazing experience. But but the the thing about the, the the reason I bring that up is because it it lasted for me for five years. Yeah, that's a good sweet gig. It was a sweet gig, and it was also a, a, a 
to be able to play the same character that long was really a gift. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. Uh, now this, now not to get too lost in that, but wasn't that show like Israeli show before it was brought to America or am I thinking of Homeland? Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking of Homeland, I think. 24. Uh, no, 24 was actually, I think the, the genesis of that was a, a, an idea that they, they took to the network and they said, we want to do a real time drama that takes place in 24 hours. So each each season is, yeah, it's, what a premise. And they, they, they pitched it. Yeah, it's a great one. And, but they pitched it as a medical drama. Oh. And somebody said, I don't know who, how this happened. Somebody said, no, 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 we have to make it a, uh, you know, uh, national security thing and and it was sort of you know the, the controversy around it was that the pilot came out about the time 9 yeah. 11 happened and it and it happened in a plane yeah i remember everybody was on edge then yeah and and uh, i mean they didn't even think the show was be picked up because it was so it was too i think they postponed it and um you know people freaked out because it was too it was too much for the yeah, too soon too soon and and uh, i mean not only too soon but i mean simultaneous yeah. <laughs> so it was almost like uh uh it it, it was yeah yeah was well scary. congratulations so, to you that was like really a great great oh, yeah. part i was just it was a great gift and i uh, i am uh, always be beholden to to jill sir now and and uh howard gordon and those guys for yeah. Picking me. Well, speaking of picking, how did you pick Ojai? How did you end up in in our our smiling veil? Well, we we uh, we came up here when Seamus was in third or fourth. Uh, let's see, third grade, I think, and checked it out because we wanted to. Uh, I was introduced to Krishnamurti through Ganga White at the White Lotus Foundation, and that and I. I just said, and we came up here and just said, oh my God, this is a, well, you know, I don't have to tell you. It's an it amazing is absolutely. Um, by the way, my, you know, Riyadh said, make sure you don't say how amazing Ohio <laughs> is. <laughs> For anybody who might be listening that wants to move. We want to keep it to ourselves. Oh, it's a terrible yeah, it place. Funny. Stay said, away. Yeah, just talk oh about what a horrible God. place it is to live. Cops on every corner and uh, <laughs> weather is horrible. Boy, the stink of the orange you blossoms. You walk down the street. <laughs> stink. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the mountains, they're just getting away. You can't see stuff. Yeah, we're, we're lucky. Um, so, yeah, we came up here and then, and then, of course, he was diagnosed uh, with a brain tumor and that, that, that sort of delayed our, our move up here for a couple of years. But so we moved up here when he was in, Oh God, I can't remember now. What grade was he in? Fifth, fifth grade? No. Seventh. He started oh, seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause he missed fifth grade entirely. Um, and then went to sixth grade in, in LA and we, yeah, we moved up here for his seventh grade. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Well, Krishnamurti and the schools and both sounds are, are the great uh, instigators of, of people moving to Ohio. And it seems like you got, you got a bit of both of them. 
Well, we just wanted to get out of the big city after after that, especially because it was too much. Yeah, and uh, so we sold our little house in Boston. Yeah, well, it's good to have you here, James. Thanks, man. Um, it's the best move we ever made. We love it here. Great. great people. You, you among oh, them. Thank you, well, brother. Thanks for saying that. That's likewise. So um, you're a yogi as well. You mentioned that a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience. I played baseball for many, many years, just not amateur. Okay. But when I started yeah. getting older, um, I had a reporter who worked for me. He was a yoga teacher. And I, you know, was a devoted practitioner for 10 or 12 years. And it extended my baseball career. I played until I was 50 against you know kids right out of high school college players and i would notice every one of the old old grizzled veterans like myself when we were warming up there was a lot of uh downward dog and a lot of uh warrior one warrior two so all these poses the deep deep stretches and uh it was like we'd look at you know it's, it's kind of a rough crew you know most of these you know, when you're an uh, old white man, you're in the minority. I mean, in, in uh, you know, the, the composition of the baseball team. So you get a little bit of ribbon. But you'd look look over and see, you know, your uh, more advanced peers doing the same thing to, to a man. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone over the age of 40, it seemed like at least in that era when I was playing in, uh, in the aughts, that, uh, yeah, really, really is unbelievable what it what it does how, how what does it do for you what is the is it the meditative is it the physical is it the discipline is it all that yeah it's all that i mean it's it's uh you know somebody said how do you uh because i started when i was in high school in my room oh with Elias phelan uh, with the, her with the well with, with you know oh. richard hittleman but also the Oh God, I can't remember the name of the book now, but but uh, such a tananda or something. It's it's uh, just the book of, of yoga poses, and, and uh, I was trying to find it. Anyway, just and I, I appreciated the, the the physicality of it. I didn't. I wasn't so much into the the, the philosophy or the, uh, the the classical texts or. Even the breathing, really. I was just mostly into just the balance poses and the challenge of that. Um, but but what it does now is is it just connects me with uh, uh, a level of focus and concentration, like you said, that I don't get from anything else. And somebody said, "How does it? How does it? How does it affect your work, or how does your work affect your practice?" And I, you know, pretty soon there's no. Uh, because we seek the union of opposites in yoga, that that's what it is to me. There's no difference between them when they're finally the uh, union. When the union has been made, mm. I that's what I find. So I I don't then see a delineation between opposites. Uh, yeah, wow, that's a beautiful way to look at that's, it. I th- that's I think what I see. Yeah. Uh, so everything informs uh, my, my practice, and my practice informs everything. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I'm going to get back into it. I, I am. I've, I uh, and that's one great thing that we've done here is uh, with uh, during this 
time that we've been isolated as uh, Seamus and I practice now every day because he's in in class and he'll come to me with the night before with his schedule for the next day. I've got between two and three. Is that a good time to practice? Or I can do a longer one tomorrow. You want to do 90 minutes? And I'll just drop everything else I'm doing and say, yeah, I'm with you. And then I lead him through a, because I don't teach anymore. So I, I lead a, a practice, you know, so it's, it's an amazing thing for us. Father and son. Yeah. Yeah. And also as, as people who sit too much and uh-huh. hip openers too, you know, it's, there's a pragmatic thing to it, but yeah, we, we have a great time and, and we listen to great music when we practice. And I say, what do you need to do today? Just like my, my teacher, Frank White at the center for yoga, uh, who introduced me to Ganga and Tracy, the white Lotus. Frank would come to class and, and he'd say, Hey, hey, Jim. Oh, he, he was an amazing guy. That's, a, that's another talk. But um, what do you want to do tonight, Jim? He was, a, you know, 80 years old. Well, I don't know. How about some core stuff? Okay, yeah, let's do some. We'll do some of that. And we'll, I'm going to throw some Tai Chi in tonight. <laughs> He's a pretty, yeah. pretty amazing guy. So you just have to, you know, he just made it uh, real non-dogmatic and yeah that's that's uh, yeah. the best kind yeah if it's fun. too we're yeah. back to the fun thing and, the, and the, you know p- playing so so um i you know we're, t- we're going over an hour here you've been very generous with your time i think we get to know each other a little better and i'd love to have you back on some time to just talk about the culture of of and some of your favorite films and why they're your favorites and parts you didn't get and movies that didn't get made and uh, there's just so much fascinating layers to to uh the show, show business and uh the theater arts especially uh, just like and you, i would love to have that conversation with you oh yeah thanks Brad. i'd love that too yeah all right james i'll uh see you around the campus Speaking with James reminded me, and hopefully you, that life is not a spectator sport, that it is, as he said, an actively and intentionally constructed work of art. That's important to remember as we go about our business in the shadow of a pandemic. Hopefully, that bond between the audience and performers will come out of this crisis even tighter and more sacred. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.